0: All right, my, my sermon will, will not not no, be the we same. Don't know that. All right, so um, that's right. What we what we were wanting. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. All right, so let's let, let's give you a quick review of where we are in one John. So John writing this epistle, um, he's wanting to build confidence uh, in his reader uh, in Christianity. Um, his primary goal, John's primary goal in writing this this letter, is to build confidence in Christ. To remind his listeners that Christ, that Jesus, is sufficient, and secondarily, his goal is to give his readers confidence in their faith in Christ. Give give his confidence that they are believing, they are uh, being faithful um, to to the gospel. Um, and we. There's, a, there's an old illustration when it comes to, to, to faith, um, uh, to, to belief and faith and their relationship with one another, and it's pretty simple. It's not sexy uh, whatsoever. Uh, but if I want to, um, to benefit uh, or if I want to relax in that chair over there, two things must happen. I must understand or I must assess the trustworthiness of that chair. And then, I must sit in it. Belief and faith. Um, Faith is beliefs and believing. Understanding uh, that, that, that there are certain truths. And then sitting down in those truths. Theology is not this, this ethereal, up-in-the-sky you know, uh, kind of philosophy, um, but it is understanding uh, truths, understanding reality, um, and then relaxing in, resting in those truths. It is assessing the trust of the chair, and then sitting down in it. Um, biblical maturity, good theology, is having sound doctrine that you live. It's not good enough to have good doctrine that you don't rest in. Um, Biblical faith isn't just believing in Jesus, but it's trusting in Jesus. Biblical faith uh, isn't just articulating things about Jesus, but it is sitting down in Jesus, it is resting in Jesus, it is benefiting from Jesus. So, John's audience, uh, the people who John are writing to, or is right was, was writing to, is writing to, was writing to, should say was writing to, because I'm talking about the audience in the past. John's audience um, had been influenced by, they had been harassed by, um, they had been attacked by previous members of their community, um, who have since moved away from the gospel. And now, um, these uh, these people, these ex-community members, are now trying to move others away too. And John's goal is to keep them uh, from shaking the confidence in Jesus and in their experience. All right, so. With all that context, all that background, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the next test, if you will, um, of a genuine, of genuine faith, of genuine Christianity, and it's this, that the genuine Christian, anointed by the Holy Spirit, will remain in the truth. You could probably make that two tests, the genuine Christian is anointed by the Holy Spirit and the genuine Christian remains in the truth, uh, but... Try to keep it as one sentence. If I don't know what to tell you. Um, so there you go. There's the point. All right. So let's. Having said that, let's dive in. First John chapter two. As always, um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try to try to dig deep in in some of these verses. So verse eighteen, dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, the antichrist is coming, and now many antichrists have come. All right. So. We need to spend just a minute, uh, I think, demystifying or discussing what John's talking about when he talks about the Antichrist, because it's one of those things like everything else could be pretty clear, but by throwing that word in there, um, it, it, you know, our, that's kind of where our, our minds tend to go. Like, what, what's, what's he talking about there? Um, and there's a lot of. Um, Teaching, uh, there's a lot of discussion uh, in our culture here in East Tennessee and the Bible Belt and in, in Bristol about the Antichrist uh, and what that is. So let me just let me start with what the Antichrist is not. The Antichrist is not a Democrat. Um, the Antichrist is not um, Obama. Um, the the Antichrist is not. Uh, neither is it this four-headed beast from Revelation that brings about the great tribulation, whatever that is. Um, John alludes to the fact, right here in verse 18, that the Antichrist has actually multiple, multiple identities. And all those identities, all those Antichrists, are attacking the church's confidence in Christianity. Um, in verse sixteen, we see uh, we see both that there is a singular antichrist and there is a plural antichrist. But we go back to verse twenty-two, and again a singular antichrist. So it's important um, that as we that it's important because we tend to think, I believe, um, in, in in the Bible Belt we tend to think uh, of the Antichrist as, the, as a singular person or a singular spirit, kind of the arch enemy uh, of Jesus. And, biblically speaking, that person exists. Um, but, we skip over We do not do justice, we are unbiblical when we do not also acknowledge that the Bible teaches that in addition to the Antichrist, there are also many human Antichrists who wittingly or unwittingly are accomplishing the devil's desires. Um, When John says in verse 18... That this is the last hour. That is John's way of saying, and it happens throughout the Old Testament. John, Paul, they they, uh, they use similar language in this. When 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 John talks about the last hour, that's John's phrase for the present age. This present age between Jesus' ascension uh, and his return, his future return. Um. So. And John says that we know we're in this time in between the ascension and Jesus' future return because um, we're we're in this last hour uh, because many antichrists have come. All right, so the Bible teaches that Jesus has a primary enemy, the, uh, the spirit of the antichrist. But in addition, there are many human antichrists. Mm-hmm. Verse nineteen makes that clear um, when it says, um, "Even now, many antichrists have come. They have come. It's a plural. Um, it, 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 it's plural there. Um, they went out from us," he says uh, in in verse nineteen. Uh, but they did not really belong to us. Um, the the people who used to be part of this community that John's writing to, but left that community, that left the gospel, John says they were never actually part of the community, that they, in fact, were themselves antichrists. Now, let's let that Let's let that truth seek in a little bit. Like, it's, I, yeah, I think it's, it's easy for us to think about Antichrist as being this kind of... All right, all right, Drew, I get it. There's more than one Antichrist. There's the Antichrist, and then there's all these other little Antichrists. But all these other little Antichrists, are they all like... Are they like C.S. Lewis' demons? Like, well, what's going on there? But John says, no, these are real, actual people, human beings, men and women, who... Came and were part of the gospel community, who came and were part of a church and then left. What was their offense? What made them antichrists wasn't necessarily that they were bad people, that they were mischievous, that they were um, but they were doing the they were doing the devil's work, as it were, because they rejected Jesus. As the, the one and only Pathway to the Father They walked away Not just from the community But also from the gospel Alright so Let me wrap that up real quick um, So there is the Spirit and the Antichrist We're told in verse 18 Verse 22 In chapter 4 verse 30 but then there are also many human antichrists. Um, verse eighteen: familiar. These human antichrists are familiar with the gospel community. Um, they try to deceive the members within that community. Verse twenty-six: um, They try to get them, get those in the community, to deny Jesus. Verse twenty-two. And all the activity that these human, otherwise, or not otherwise, just ordinary people, uh, by all, uh, by all description, um, the. The thing that, that sets them apart um, Their activity Was brought about by Was empowered by And was influenced by The Antichrist Alright, so that's what the Antichrist is not What the Antichrist is Antichrist, And the Antichrist is And we're told in verse 22 Pretty plainly um, Who is the uh, Who is the liar um, it, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ such a person is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son alright so it's not those who say that there, are no God, there is no God, it is not those who say that Jesus never lived or existed um, it is not those who perform abortions or who advocate for gay rights or it, it is those who say that Jesus is not the one who God sent to save the world. It is those who deny and who disown the truth that the historic man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, was and is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one sent by God the Father into the world to save his father's people. To save his father's world So let's give Let me give you just a brief Kind of historical context here So part of the reason uh, That commentators suspect That theologians suspect that, that this group of people Were denying Jesus Was because um, Many who were professing Jesus uh, were being persecuted and martyred. We know that, right? Um, in the in the New Testament time, and so these people, uh, in part, were trying to avoid persecuting persecution and martyrdom. And so they were saying that it was unnecessary uh, to say that the only pathway, the only door, the only access to God the Father was Jesus Christ. Um, and John says that this is the voice of the Antichrist, just to deny, the, just, just, just deny Jesus, just to deny the exclusivity of Jesus. That's the voice of the Antichrist, but their message was pretty simple, let's just deny it and then we won't die. We can still love God, we can still love the Father, we can still follow the commands, it's just that one piece of doctrine, is it really that important? Verse 22, John makes uh, makes it clear that the denial of the exclusivity of Jesus um, is the denial of not just the Son, but also of the Father. And verse, 20, verse 23 um, explains uh, why that is so. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Read that All right, so present-day application. Um Our, our world, um, our world tells us that it's fine to be a Christian, it's great to follow Jesus' teaching, but it's bigoted to believe or to imply that that Christianity, that being a Jesus follower is the only way to be right with God, right? That to have a relationship that the, that Jesus is required is the is is required to have a relationship with the Creator. It is um, foolish, says our world, um, that uh, the only way to have lasting joy and peace is through uh, is through one person, is through Jesus. So said another way. It's all right and good. it's, all, it's, a, you know, it's cool um, for each individual uh, to find their own belief system as long as it brings you joy and peace. As long as it inspires you to be a better person. like I, yeah, we don't need to dictate. This is what the world. This is this is what's bad about the world is people try to say that the only way to have joy and peace, the only way to have um, uh, to have confidence or to be a better person is you have to follow my way of thinking. You have to um, you have to believe what I believe. And so the world says rejects all that and says no. You can believe whatever you want to believe as long as it brings you joy and peace, as long as it doesn't infringe upon the rights of others, um, and as long uh, as uh, it makes ultimately it makes you a better person, not a worse person. Just find a belief system that works for you. Right? So if you don't believe me, if you don't believe that statement, let me just replace, replace a few words and see if this rings true. So, it's right and it's good for each individual, to, for, for each lady in our society to find a man in her life that will bring her joy and peace. In fact, you owe it to yourself to find a job that is enjoyable and fulfilling. It's good for you to seek out and to find and to pursue ruthlessly uh, to find a girlfriend that will inspire you to be a better person. In fact, it's your duty to yourself to love you to love yourself and to find people that you can surround yourself with in your life that love you the way you deserve to be loved and if that means blocking out and shutting out all those needy people in your life then so be it the message of our world is the message of the antichrist your beliefs don't really matter so much as long as you hold those beliefs sincerely and you don't impose them on anybody else. In essence, the world says um, the object of your faith, it doesn't really matter if the object of your faith is Jesus or if the object of your faith is your perfect family or your significant other, or your six-figure salary, as long as you are sincere in that faith, and as long as you are ultimately happy. doesn't really matter. Um, but, think about that for a second. Saying that the object of your faith isn't important is a pretty stupid argument. Um If I go back to the chair illustration, I'm looking at the chair. Um, So if I go back to the chair illustration, that's like saying that the chair isn't that important. My belief is important, is what's important. Um, But listen, if that chair can't hold you, that chair can't hold you. Like it's possible to have a sense, uh, to have it's possible to believe sincerely and be sincerely wrong, right? Um, our, our culture puts the, the emphasis uh, on the human, saying uh, that the object of my faith isn't as important as the passion in my faith, as as the the, the the sincerity of my belief. As long as you embrace it, as long as you own it, as long as you fight for it, and as long as it makes you happy. But the Bible puts the emphasis on Jesus. Saying that the depth and the passion of your faith isn't actually very important at all compared to the object of your faith. If you are tired and you see a chair and you don't know if that chair will hold you or not, but in reality, that's a sturdy chair, will the chair hold you? Of course it will. The object of your faith is far more important than the size of your faith. But on the other hand, if you are utterly convinced that a chair uh, will hold you, but in reality, the chair does not have support, uh, the legs are weak, will it hold you? No. Your passionate faith will not hold you. Tons of faith in, some, in something unworthy of our faith becomes zero faith when life crashes down. The message of our culture is, is the message of the Antichrist. Alright, so let's... What do we do with this? Um, let's, let, let, let's go there. Um, we, we can talk... We could stop and we could talk about the fact that we ourselves, prior to our conversions, were antichrists. That is true. We could talk about how we are still functional antichrists when we live like the world and when we value the things of the world, when we idolize the things of the world and we live as if, we, uh, as if our only value and worth is found in the things of the world. That is also true. We could talk about how we are pseudo-antichrists even when we are religious, when we live our lives as if we don't need a messiah. That's also true. But what I want us to, to spend just a minute about on is, is the same thing that John is emphasizing here. Um, and it's, what is, our, what is our defense against verse 19 one day being true of us? You see, the, the people who left this community... Didn't think of themselves as antichrists So how do we make sure that we don't one day find ourselves being being antichrists? Because the reality is every one of us one day Could walk away from the message of Jesus and the person of Jesus The statistics on this are staggering the number of people who grew up in church, but once they go to college, walk away and abandon the faith. Um, the Southern Baptist Society or Southern Baptist Convention or whoever they are um, said, uh, did a study a few years ago and came up with uh, a statistics that said 70 to 80%. 80, 80, 70 to 88% of people who grew up in church and went to college then abandoned the faith. Uh, but not only that, um, there are, uh, the, the statistics are e- equally um, as unbelievable when we talk about people who uh, who basically, whose faith dies out midlife. Um, there are men and women uh, that, that I know Uh, Who this has happened to. There are men uh, that I know who have pastored churches for longer than some of you have been alive. Uh, That midway through their life, they abandoned not only their church, but they abandoned their faith altogether, and now they live lives of pluralism. So, with just an ounce of humility and reflection, we should realize that if we're not careful, the verse nineteen could one day be us. So, what is our defense? Twofold: the genuine Christian has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Verse twenty, um, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you and and all of you know the truth. Verse 21. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes uh, from the truth. Um, In verse 20, John is talking about the spirit of Jesus that indwells the Christian. The Holy One is Jesus. When he talks about the anointing, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. John is saying, John is making a contrast here. Verse 19. They walked away, but Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit. John is saying, don't put your confidence in you holding on. Put your confidence in what Jesus has done for you. Namely, giving you and indwelling within you His Spirit. There's another contrast in verse 26 and 27. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. See the contrast? Now, now in this verse, John is not saying that believers don't need teachers. He's, he's teaching them now. Right? Um, John is saying that the original audience doesn't need the Antichrist to teach them something new or something spectacular beyond Jesus. You don't need Jesus plus Alright so summary. Um, John is saying that the genuine Christ that the that the genuine Christian um, His or her defense against the the Antichrist is found in this, that the Holy Spirit lives in and causes the believer to know and to understand, to value, and to believe the truth. So the first defense is Jesus' Holy Spirit lives in you, showing you and teaching you pointing out to you all the places that the Antichrist lies. And the second defense, or the first defense, rather, is, sorry, let me say, the first defense is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. But the second uh, defense is this, that the genuine Christian lets the gospel abide in them How do we experience the saving work of the Holy Spirit? Verse verse 24-25 As for you see uh, that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised. Eternal life. Read through this entire text again that we've gone through. Um, verse 24 is the only verse that tells the reader to do something. We've, we've given a lot of teaching. John's given a lot of a, a lot of ink um, about the Antichrist. And he's saying trust and tr- and, and and the trust. Uh, in the Holy Spirit. But the one thing that we are told to do while the Holy Spirit is teaching us, while the Holy Spirit is saving us is this. Let the gospel abide in us. Let the good news of Jesus take up residence in us. Let the grace of God through his work, through his word make its house in us. John says That as we let Jesus' message abide in us, that we too abide in the Son and in the Father. And we have the promise that He promised to us, which is eternal life. Our defense in abiding in Christianity and abiding in Jesus is simply... To be extremely, to be intentionally, and to be repeatedly pro-Jesus. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we confess all the ways uh, in which we put um, the world and the world's values, where we put um, ourselves uh, above uh, and beyond Jesus. We pray uh, that you would... Um, cleanse us by Your Spirit, that You would teach us, that You would allow for us to abide in You and to abide in Your Son as we abide uh, in Your Word and as we abide in Your community. Um, Holy Spirit, um, abide in our hearts uh, and and make us uh, new. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.